We are doing the theme of salvation and atonement in the Bible. And we have pretty much covered it in Ephesians. I mean, we could we could deal with whether husbands control their wives or not. <laughs> we all know the answer to that. So. <laughs> yeah, let's not go there. Huh? <laughs> We've been married 39 years. We don't need to start jeopardizing it, do we? <laughs> Did that answer your question? <laughs> yes, that answered my question. We won't go there. And so I think we'll start with uh, Ephesians 6, verse 10. And uh, let's have prayer before we do. Father, we want to uplift the prayer requests that we have for Bob and Judy as they seek solutions to the situation with the, his father uh, and any other family members that are involved. We pray that uh, you will give them wisdom and that you will give them strength and courage and whatever they need to deal with everything, with this college and um, with the all the problems that it faces. We ask that you will be with the college and with the board, that you will rectify what needs rectifying and, and clear our reputation and enable us to thrive. We pray that uh, you will be with uh, Katrina and David as, as they're in Australia. We pray that you'll be with her parents who are not doing well. And uh, we pray that you'll also be, keep them safe and help them to be able to return uh, safely and not get stranded there. We want to thank you for everything that you've given us. This Christmas season is such a joyful time. We thank you for the sunshine and for everything that you mean to us. Bless us as we study your word. May your spirit guide us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so chapter 6, verse 10. Daling, would you read uh, verses 10, 20? 10 to 20. Okay. Finally, be strong in the Lord and stand in the power of His might. Put on every piece of spiritual armor the Lord has given you, all the weaponry you need to stand against the crafty enemy. We're not dealing with an enemy we can see or get our hands on, but with spiritual beings who were once near the center of power and are now trying to rule this world. The power of these supernatural beings and the force of their force they generate are not to be taken lightly. That's why you must put on the entire spiritual armor God has given you and stand firm, not giving an inch of ground. Then when it's over, you'll still be standing. This is the time to stand, tighten the belt of truth securely around yourself, cover your chest with the breastplate of Christ's invincible righteousness. <clears throat> Put on the shoes of the good news of Christ's peace. Take up the shield of faith, trusting in the Lord to stop the flying arrows which Satan sends your way. Then put on the helmet of salvation and take the sword of the Spirit which is given you in the Word of God. Finally, pray constantly as if your life depended on it. Keep alert to the needs of your brothers and sisters and pray for them too. Also pray for me that God will give you the right words to say when I stand before Caesar and that he will help you share the gospel fearlessly to all that are there, even if it leads to my conviction. I am an ambassador in chains because of the gospel. Pray that I will defend it boldly. Okay. This is uh, more about practical living. 
rather than salvation. Any questions or observations? Um, can you read 12 again? We're not dealing with an enemy we can see or get our hands on, but with spiritual beings who were once near the center of power and now trying to rule this world. The powers of these supernatural beings and the force they generate are not to be taken lightly. Seems to me there was quite an extra bit added in there to, to my version, because my version says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against the principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's actually what the, pretty much what the Greek says. Mine says, For our struggle is not against enemies of blood and flesh, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. So, The words are all very similar to one another, and so consequently, for example, I think you have uh, rulers in a different place than my version does, but uh, it's because the words mean so much similar. Yeah, um, Paul really gets to the heart of things that more and more people tend to shy away from ever talking about. And that is that we are in a cosmic conflict, not just a worldly conflict. And it would be interesting to do a word study of these different, this different list, the rulers against the authorities, against the cosmic powers, against the spiritual forces. You know, does, does, is there a background for this with Paul? Uh, and I'm wondering if it doesn't come uh, from possibly First Enoch or one of the apocryphal books. One of the things that the, the Jews adopted from Babylon was a demonology, where the demons have names. And you find that demonology in, I think, First Enoch. Where Raphael is one of the angels that comes, and, and there's, of course, there's Gabriel, but... There's, um, I don't remember, they, they name the different heavenly angels, and they also, I think, name some of the demons, which is something we have ignored because we ignore the Apocrypha. However, Ellen White spoke positively about it, mm-hmm. meaning saying that we would learn, in the last days we would learn what certain things from it, or I can't, I can't remember the exact phraseology, but it was that we would find it useful. Twelve, to me, says, <clears throat> basically, big, bold letters, beware of the devil. Yeah. And all his demons. Yeah. Is, because is, he was once near the center of power. Yeah. You know, stay away from him. Well, that's why my version calls it cosmic powers, I mean, the powers of uh, that were originally created this is why the clear word works better with my mind. <laughs> well, and it puts it in simple terms for me. And and you know, if you look at the context of your thinking that in twelve you stay away from him, then you need to take into context verse thirteen, where it says, "Take the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil evil day, and having done all to stand." You know, there's which come, means you have a very close relationship with God. Keep it close. And keep using it so the devil can't permeate through it. Yeah, but what I'm saying is, is, you know, we might do our best to avoid him, but at some point we're going to have to come face to face with him. You know, whether it's, you know, going out and doing 
you know, good work for other people that you're going to find the problems or whether, you know, he's going to end up coming into your, to your realm of your work. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think it's, it's very likely that uh, if, we don't, if we don't wrestle against him, he's never going to confront us. He has us. Yeah. And therefore, and, and notice the list of things that we're supposed to have in order to stand against him. The belt of truth around our waist. It's interesting that the first to the belt as truth. We'll come back to that. And um, the breastplate of righteousness covering the heart. As shoes for your feet put on whatever will make you ready to proclaim the gospel of peace. With all of these, take the shield of faith, which you will be able to quench all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. It has always struck me that the only active part of the armor is the sword of the Spirit. There's no other weapon. And of course, you could go to Jesus' three temptations in the wilderness. He does not argue with Satan. He does not enter into a conversation with him. He uses scripture. And that's all he uses. Except for his three words, get behind me. That's why I tell a fudge, get thee behind me. <laughs> you know, that's, that's, I don't need it. that's really interesting <clears throat> that you made that observation or brought that point back up. Because, boy, we certainly have so many people, you know, and I'm sure we're all guilty of it at times, where... We know we're right, and we're willing to argue the point, sometimes casually, sometimes, you know, very um, forcefully, to try to get the other person to come around to our point of view. It's not wrong to reason together with human beings, but with the devil, we have an obligation not to argue with him. Because he's the master of deception. And more than that, he has lost his reasoning powers. Mm-hmm. He is not rational. He's totally about power. And in talking about power corrupts, um, the devil is totally corrupted, as far as I can concern. Which is why he's described in the Bible as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. <clears throat> he's insane. And that's I, it, I, I wondered for years and years why Jesus didn't use anything but Scripture to deal with the devil. I mean, who could out, more out-argue the devil or point out his fallacies or his deceptions than Jesus? And put him in his place. And put him in his place. But he doesn't do that. And it finally came to me. He's insane. He's, he's so enraged, he's out of his mind. And you can't reason with someone like that. No, there's lots of times when you can't reason with some. You can't reason enough with somebody, even if they're wrong, to get them to change their point of view. Even if they're not mad, it's not. You know, you're just having a casual conversation. <clears throat> what is the old saying? A man convinced against his will is unconvinced is, still. Is that is the same opinion still? Yeah, yeah, same opinion. Well, put that in terms for you that you really, really, really understand. If you and Mike Mertz were in the same room, Dodgers, Giants, yeah. neither one of you are going to change. 
But I think you would be more willing to listen than him because he's right always. No, you can put it even closer to home still than that. My uncle was in the Adventist church Mm -hmm. and went out when Ford did. And for years, we just completely didn't even get together with them because every time we got together, he wanted to argue and prove his point that he was right. And... It finally got to the point where we just told him, look, you are welcome to your opinion. But when we get together, if we're going to get together, we don't want to talk about it. If you're going to get together just to you know, be family and social and that kind of stuff, fine. But if not, don't bother getting together. And that's when it finally changed a little bit enough that we could get together and at least be civil toward one another and you know, talk about family and stuff like that. Yeah, it was really hard on his grandmother and his mom. Yeah. Because he'd call him just to argue. Mm. And my grandmother thought she needed to argue with him. To save him. Point scripture out to try to save him. Mm -hmm. And so there was a long argument on the phone. We went through that in my family with my brother. Philip's mom finally told him, if you're going to, I'll sit here and talk with you, but I'm not going to talk religion with you period and as a result they don't do anything with us you know the the only time they've ever come to our house in the last 30 years was because they were trying to get us to join them in i don't remember what the company was but like amway or something like that and it was like no Mm -hmm. that's the only time you want to come and see us you don't ever want to visit just because we're family and ironically, his uncle now has three spots of cancer that they think might be a sign of pancreatic cancer. They haven't been able to find out. Not they, yet. He had a spot on his lung and his was it his liver? And where was the third one? That would be stage four. If, if he it's, does have it's pancreatic. It's like it's already spread. Whatever cancer he's had. See, that often like happens with spread. pancreatic cancer is a silent killer. Mm-hmm. Pancreatic cancer, if you get that diagnosis, it's a death sentence. That's all there is to it. You can try, his aunt had it, and you can try to enjoy your last days. She had no treatment. She had no surgery. She just lived her life to the fullest, enjoying family, doing things as long as she was able-bodied, and I think it was a good way to go if you're going to have cancer. Um, Jean, how do you see, because you said that the um, the sword of the spirit was the only active part. How do you see that? Tool. Active tool. Because mm-hmm. everything else you okay. wear. You wear. It's all passive. It, because it, it protects you. It's all for protection. But it's the Word of God that is the only active tool. And that goes hand in hand with praying and the supplication in the right. Spirit. Right. If you move on, uh, pray in the Spirit at all times and every prayer and public supplication. Of course, we do that too. But that's still a defensive mechanism. The only right. offense part of the equipment is the sword of the Spirit, which I think is very instructive. This is not co- a coercive battle. Uh, Satan is the coercive part of this battle, 
and we defend ourselves against him by putting all these things on and using scripture to, to keep him at bay and defeat him. But that's the only active part, and it's certainly not coercive. I like the fact that the belt of truth is wrapped around the clothing to keep it all together. Is that what truth does? Yeah, keeps things together. Okay. The shield isn't that like a the sword because it it is you're not wearing it. It's true that you can use it as a defense mechanism to ward off attacks of the sword uh, or the flaming darts or, or whatever. But it's not you're you're not hurting anybody with it. You, mm-hmm. you, it's not a weapon. It's it's a defense. Yeah, kind it's of. like the breastplate. Mm-hmm. It's for defensive purposes. Right. Yeah, I think maybe I shouldn't go there, but I think all the part about the husbands and women obeying. I think that goes back to all the horrible lifestyles at that time. Okay, since you brought it up, <laughs> sorry. Look at verse 21 of chapter 5. Be subject to one another out of reverence for Christ. Yeah, see, that's a completely, that puts a completely different spin on it than 99% of the people that use that verse, you know. That's the context, and I think we have to keep that context in mind. If, if, if the husband loves his wife just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. For her. Mm-hmm. Uh, if he loves her to that extent, he's not going to lord it over her. He's right. going to be subject to her, yeah. and so far as she is subject to him, it's going to be both ways. Yes. It's going to be a two-way street instead of a one-way street. Right. You, you bow down to me. You do everything for me. Mm-hmm. But I also like... A man should leave his father and mother for the sake of his wife. Because that's true. You you see marriages and, and when they're still clinging to their family instead of making the unit, that's not good. Never good. Yeah. And that, I think we were pretty clear with our kids. Once you're married, that's your life. We can still do things together, but that's your life. If you want to come for advice, that's fine, but you guys have to make core decisions and be one unit. A lot of marriages suffer because of in law <laughs> inroads. Mm-hmm. Okay, anything else in this, this section? We haven't done anything with 18 to 20 much. It's kind of self explanatory. Yeah, I mean, uh, for me anyway, in verse 20, it says that, you know, he's an ambassador and he's still going to speak the word boldly, even though he's in chains. Mm-hmm. Is it going to make any difference in his, in the way right. he acts? Well, 19 here says, in my Bible, also pray for me that God will give me the right words to say when I stand before Caesar and that he will help me share the gospel fearlessly to all who are there, even if it leads to my conviction. So I'm going down on a sinking ship, praising my Lord, whether people want to hear it or not. Yeah, I think for me, that text you know, says that he's going to pro- pro- proclaim the 
mysteries of the gospel, gospel, regardless of his situation or what happens to him, because he's saying it boldly. So, pray in the spirit at all times. What does that mean? I think it means to just keep an open communication with the Lord all the time. Because you know, a lot of times we say, "Well." You know, I'm busy doing something, I can't pray, but you can still have a conversation. You can still have your thoughts that way. Yeah. Um, um, what does it mean to pray in the Spirit? Um, maybe that would be your um, intentions for prayer, whether you're, you know, praying for your, you know, for your own self as far as what you're asking for, or maybe you're praying out of a different spirit for somebody else's well-being. I have had times in my life when the Spirit actually gave me the words of my, or the thoughts of my prayer. And, and I really felt that, that He was the one enabling me to pray the way I did. So, I think the most outstanding time was um, I was working on a book that was my second book that got published by Pacific Press. And it was telling the story of the great controversy, looking at it through God's eyes. And it was, it was a book on God and, and suffering. And I was pointing out that God is the chief sufferer because he, he feels all our sufferings. And, and he's gone through all this pain with us. I was working on the, on the section of Calvary. And I was feeling it really deeply, which may have been something for the the reason of this but I I also felt like I was in conflict with the powers of darkness not wanting me to write and and I got in such a state that I could hardly function and I felt like I have to get somewhere where I can get help and the only person I could think of was my friend who was staying at a certain house she was house sitting for someone and I thought maybe she'll have prayer with me she was actually had been my roommate the last quarter that I was in the dorm so I got on my bicycle, which was my only means of transportation at Andrews at that time, and I I sped down to her house, and I could hardly talk. I was in such a, a bad state, I could hardly talk, and I managed to convey to her that I was struggling with this thing, and, and I needed prayer, and she said, well, let's pray right now. And we were in the garage of this place, and I remember kneeling down in this garage, and she prayed, and then she wanted me to pray, and I didn't know how I was going to be able to pray, because I hardly, could hardly talk. So I started in, and it was like I knew what to say after each clause or sentence the next time, but I couldn't ahead of time. I could not organize my thoughts, and I prayed that entire prayer like that. And when I said amen, she said, wow, that was a powerful prayer, and I was like, that was the most intense time I ever had that situation but there have been times when I have felt that I prayed uh, with the spirit actually giving me the prayer and I I really think that that's kind of what Paul's talking about is try try to let the spirit guide you what you pray all the time don't just pray on your own that's that's something we don't talk about, is it? No, and to follow up with that, if we put ourselves in a position where that could happen, 
our prayers would probably drastically change. They would. They would, and the more of them might get answered. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I think unless you have anything else that we are done with this section. Okay. So we're ready to start. Philippians, we're not going to start today because today is communion. I thought we should yes. probably get out a little early. So we'll do uh, one chapter one for next week. Or? We can do yeah part of parts okay. of it. I don't know. I haven't looked at it to be able to. But Philippians is is a great book. It's a very positive book. <laughs>